Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 179. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, football-related or not. Hope you all had some good times with your family, uh, or if you're not celebrating for whatever, you know, if you're international or just not choosing to partake, hope you enjoyed a couple of days off from whatever your normal grind of the week may or may not be. Either way, we are here to talk about week 12 of the NFL season, which is already pretty healthily underway. Three Thanksgiving games, obviously the Black Friday game, which, I mean, I guess we might touch on. Probably not a lot to go off there. But either way, we're going to start this episode like we start all the others with my standout seven. And seeing as how it is a holiday week, we're going to give the bigger story a little bit of a vacation. You know, we started doing this shtick, I think, last year, maybe the season before, maybe our fifth season. Um, but you know what? We're just going to focus in on a couple of big contenders and then a couple of things around the league that, in terms of moving ahead after this season, might be kind of interesting. And oh, by the way, we've got some news and notes. I don't know if you caught that Drew Brees was doing a little bit of an interview and he had an interesting comment about the mark that football has left on him physically. We'll get into that in just a sec, but first things first, number one in the standout seven, we got to talk about the Super Bowl rematch, Monday Night Football, Chiefs hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, we all know how it turned out the last time these two teams matched up. Andy Reid against his old squad. What are my takeaways? Well, to keep it concise before we expand on it, Kansas City is still every bit as good as Philly. Coming into this game, preparing for this game, I talked about it last week. I picked Philly to win. I said, right now, Philly just might be the best team in the NFL. Baltimore contending, obviously. Uh, San Francisco, a little bit of a hiccup. But right now, I had Philly. Kansas City is every bit as good as Philly. Every bit. However, Philly is really good. They still are. Um, Notes from Monday Night Football. Tremendous diving interception, um, which was almost the other way after A.J. Brown made an all-time heads-up play. Unfortunately, the players made contact. All's well that ends well. Patrick Mahomes winds up throwing the ball back to them either way. Um, it's 17-7 to Kansas City at half, right? They don't score a point the entire second half. That is an accomplishment for the Philadelphia defense. They hold Patrick Mahomes to a buck 77 through the air. Now, admittedly, they give up about a buck 50 on the ground to Kansas City. Which, the interesting difference between a team like Kansas City, who's obviously a proven champion, they've been there, they've done that, Patrick Mahomes has his MVPs, Andy Reid is just waiting on them to finish his Hall of Fame bust, and a team like Buffalo, where for years I've had the same complaint over and over when Devin Singletary was there, and now that they've moved on from him, is that they don't run the ball. And this is not a Philly defense, which, at least to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, comment section, if where you're listening has one, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. This is not a Philly team that is prone to getting gashed on the ground. I mean, when you think of Philly's front, you think of Jalen Carter, high draft pick, been having a good rookie year. You think of Fletcher Cox. You think of the guys that they kind of especially considering they have to practice against Jalen Hurts' tush-push and things like that. 
you tend to think they'd have some interesting schemes and the ability to shut down the run. I mean, it's not like Pacheco went for 200, but 19 carries for 89 is a pretty good game. Mahomes did some scrambling for 38 yards, chipping a little bit from Edwards Hilaire, a little bit from Tony, and you wind up with a buck 50. Um, realistically, the Eagles defense will take that because Patrick Mahomes isn't gashing them. He goes 24 of 43 in this game, not one of his better performances. Obviously, the aforementioned interception. Travis Kelsey winds up with a touchdown, but he also 44 yards, not much. They forced another turnover. I believe it was a fumble by Kelsey. Uh, in this one as well. A pretty good game. Anytime you can hold Kansas City to 17, you should be in it. And if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you should win it. On the defensive side of the ball for Kansas City, I mean, you can't really complain too much giving up 21 to the one seed in the NFC. And this is the second time you faced them. The last time you faced them, you gave up 30 plus. You improved in this game. A.J. Brown had eight yards. Eight. 150 passing yards for the Eagles, 99 of it to Devontae Smith, 31 to DeAndre Swift. I mean, Swift had a great game. You're talking 15 touches for a buck 07. Even Hurts' carries, obviously you have the kneel downs in there, I believe, but 12 carries for 29 yards, two touchdowns. It's tush-push shenanigans. It's, it's not Lamar Jackson sort of dynamic, crazy scrambling. This is just a good game between two football teams that are pretty equally matched, I would say. Coming in, like I said, I was a little light on the 7-2 and two Chiefs. You know what? This is, a we- this is an impressive loss, and it's an impressive win for Philly. Sometimes two teams could just go head-to-head, and you could flip the coin, and, you know, one team will win six times, the other will win four. This was a really good game, and uh, people were calling it a Super Bowl preview, potentially. Obviously, it's a Super Bowl rematch. If we saw these two teams again in February, I would not be disappointed in the slightest. Now, that being said, I have two more takeaways. One of which, oh, well, three, let's go. One of which is not related. We'll go, it was the best Monday Night Football ratings in 25 years, supposedly. Mazel, tremendous, great matchup, Super Bowl rematch, of course. However, I want to talk about Nick Sirianni. And I'm going to use one of the rare profane words on this air. Nick Sirianni, seen after the game, walking into the tunnel. I don't hear, you know what, I won't use it. We'll go excrement. I don't hear poop. You know what the word is. I don't hear poop anymore, Chiefs fans. See ya. Um, there's a lot of people, particularly, I live in New York, you know that that are not exactly fond of Nick Sirianni. They find him kind of obnoxious, a little, uh, you know, full of himself, I guess. Yeah, he, he he's definitely comes across that way. I mean, this is after Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who, by the way, I will continue to pat myself on the back. Weeks ago, I said they need a number one receiver. I don't know how they won the Super Bowl with Juju Smith-Schuster as their number one wideout, but it did not help them going into this season. They could have should have tried to trade for a Mike Evans or someone of that, a Jerry Judy, who isn't really a number one, but has the the measurables to maximize that talent. I mean, it just wasn't there. Okay, you know what? Fair enough. Maybe they tried and they, they it was too much. It's the champion's tax, right? It's like when the Yankees try to make a trade, they got to pay top dollar. Either way, Marquez Valdez-Scantling gets hit in the hands in the end zone. And we're talking what? Minute 40 to go in this game. 
Could we have gone to overtime? Sure. Could Philly have outright won it in that next 90 seconds? Of course they could have. However, that didn't happen because Marquez dropped it. I'm not here to rip Marquez. It happens, right? He's a guy who's primarily a deep threat. He's not known for having the most consistent hands. After the game, Patrick Mahomes said it was on him. The throw was a little long. It might have been a hair long, but it really wasn't much. Either way, the point being, for Nick Sirianni to take the victory lap in the opposing stadium of a team that beat you when it mattered, when you played each other in the championship, the championship, they walked away with the jewelry. Not you. No. So... You're walking away from a game where the opposing team's receiver not only got open, but would have scored the go-ahead touchdown if he had put his hands together like the majority, you think, of number one receivers in the NFL would do. Interesting. Interesting time to take the victory lap, Mr. Sirianni. You're coaching a great team. The team is tremendous. Title aspirations. This is the time to take the victory lap. Nice. Okay. You know, it, it's it's very on brand. It's on character, as I like to say. Uh, or in character, if you prefer to put it that way. Probably sounds a little better. Um, it's just dumb. Like, I, I don't... I don't understand it. You know what? You, you smack talk the fans. I get players smack talking the fans, sure. I guess, because they're yelling at you, barking at you. Maybe there was some significant antagonism in the crowd that is not in every normal crowd when you're playing a road game in the NFL, particularly at Arrowhead, one of the better home crowd, home field advantages in the NFL. Either way, um, all right. I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was odd and it kind of irked me. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and I'm sure it irked some of the Chiefs and I'm sure it irked some fans around the league, but here we are. Uh, number two in the standout seven, let's keep it in the NFC. I'm thinking San Francisco's back. You know, it's, I forget which John Wick film it is. It's, uh, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. You know what I mean? Uh, I think we are seeing San Francisco as they were a handful of weeks ago. And I think we're seeing how San Francisco is going to be for the rest of the season. They lost to the Bengals, took some time off, stomped the Jaguars, beat the Buccaneers by 13, and then they go to Seattle and they beat Seattle 31-13. to Oh, by the way, this game was 24-3 at halftime. Seattle aided by a pick six from Brock Purdy's own end zone. I'm moderately concerned at the uptick in interceptions by Purdy just like I am moderately concerned about the uptick in interceptions by a C.J. Stroud, particularly as a young QB. You start to get a little confident, a little too confident, and then sometimes some of the better teams can catch you. Maybe that'll come back to bite them in the long run. But San Francisco is back to looking like a top-five team, as they always were. The number-two team in the NFC, particularly after Thanksgiving, and we'll get to that right. You know what? Let's just get to it right now. There's no more roses to be thrown at the 49ers, you know they're a good team. Let's talk about the Detroit Lions. Let's talk about the Detroit Lions, but really we're going to transition. We'll start with Detroit. So they play before Thanksgiving. They're losing four, excuse me, no. 
They're losing after halftime, 20 to 14, to the Chicago Bears, the three and seven Chicago Bears. In a game where, obviously, as per usual, their leading rusher is their quarterback. DJ Moore had a pretty good game. The rest of the receiving core had 70 yards. The rest of the running game had 79 yards. I mean, look, I see the athleticism. I know some of the gifts are there for Justin Fields. I think he could be a pretty good quarterback in the NFL. But the guy's not Michael Vick. He's not Lamar Jackson. Not right now, at least. He shouldn't be single-handedly putting you in a hole at home when you are the big dog, not only in your in your building that day, but in your division. How did he do that? Well, he did that because Jared Goff looked like the guy that got traded from the Rams. Outright. Two picks in the first half, and then another pick in the, I believe in the second half. Three interceptions. Count them. Puts them in a huge hole. You know what? They come back and win it, and you go, all right, well, look, it's not what you want, obviously, to use the Joe Girardi-ism. Not what you want, but it's the way that it is. Okay, fair enough. Three interceptions, he's only got eight on the year. Then, they go out against a Green Bay Packer team, which for all intents and purposes, when I recorded the last episode, I considered them pretty much dead in the water. They had just barely lost to Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, pushing them to 3-6. and six. It's an open NFC playoff picture in terms of the wild card. Then, they play the Chargers, and I go, hmm, well, you know, eventually the Chargers gotta piece something together, right? It's a really crowded AFC wild card picture. If they want to be a playoff team, they gotta beat Green Bay and Green Bay. They're coming in at 4-5. and five. It shouldn't realistically be that big of a deal. Well, Jordan Love, for the second time this season, we will go back through the games here, and I will find the game that I talked about it. It was the game against New Orleans. And I said, you know, this is a winnable game for Green Bay. Wait, was that the game? I believe it was, actually. I said, it's a winnable game for Green Bay. However... I'm taking New Orleans. But in doing so, I put the caveat. I said, you know, I don't think Green Bay is going to be this great this year. But if Jordan Love wants to be the starting quarterback next year, which you tend to think he would, you'd have to give your fans a little bit to hold on to. A game to point to and say, hmm, remember that game against New Orleans? Remember that game against the Vikings? Remember that game against Detroit? And you can say, yeah, you know what? Maybe we do give Jordan Love another shake. Because I was under the impression this Green Bay team, which I just said was 3-6 and six within the calendar month, was going to be pushing their way up the draft ladder. Potentially thinking, who knows, about maybe trading up even further and getting into the conversation for one of those star QB prospects. Oh, no, no, no. That will not be happening right or wrong. Now, Jordan Love in that game was 22 of 44. was not great. He was their leading rusher. He threw for 259, a touchdown and a pick. What I'm referring to is the fact that they were down 17-0. Derek Carr got injured, first of a few. And he brought them all the way back to win 18-17. Now, fast forward to the Charger game. 
We'll talk about Brandon Staley later. Don't wait, Charger fan. Don't, or just wait, I should say. Not don't wait. Don't skip ahead. This is good content. Jordan Love goes 27 of 40, 322, two touchdowns against the Chargers defense. Granted, Joey Bosa goes down in this one. That hurts their pass rush. But it shouldn't have crippled them on the road against Green Bay in a game where Aaron Jones, due to injury, only touches the ball five times. A.J. Dillon, their other back, averages two yards a carry. What are we doing? What are we doing here? And it was... I don't want to say it was a comedy of errors, right? Because it's not like they played awful in this game, they being the Chargers. But, I mean, Eckler fumbles in the red zone. Uh, And then you have the huge pass up the sideline to Quinton Johnston, and he just straight up botches it. And, like, that's the Chargers. I talk about sometimes, and I know... As fans, you guys live it, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't need to explain this, but I will. For those of you out there who maybe you're a Patriot fan and you were blessed enough to not have to deal with this, sometimes a team that has struggled for a significant amount of time consecutively, or they just can't get over the hump, right? Even when the Chargers were a playoff team, they couldn't even get to the Super Bowl, recent memory. Sometimes it just it's in the jersey. It's like it's like if you went over to your friend's house and he's just chain-smoking cigarettes and you're wearing your favorite sweater and you go home and you wash it and it still smells like cigarettes and you wash it again and it's the colors start to fade and it still smells like menthol. It smells like Marlboro Reds, right? There's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes, for a team, that's the way it feels to the fans. If you're a baseball fan, it's the Mets, right? Or, up until this year, it was the Minnesota Twins. You make the playoffs, make the playoffs, make the playoffs, can't win. Always run into the Yankees. Always run into this team. Can't beat them, can't beat them, can't beat them. Well, for the Chargers, and for several other teams in the league, you run into games like this, where, alright, on paper, we're the better team, I would say. Coming into this one, the Chargers were the better squad. How are you going to find a way to mess this one up? And of course they do. Of course they do. And they slide down to 4-6, and six, a chance where they could have pulled even with a team like Buffalo, who's had plenty of things go wrong. No, you still have to fall behind. And here's the funny part about this segment, guys. My notes said, Roses to Jordan Love. Not rip the Chargers. Let's get back to Thanksgiving. The... Detroit Lions offensive line was not aware they were playing on Thanksgiving, nor was Jared Goff, who started this game off about as poorly as you could. Uh, Really, the Lions did as a whole. Bomb pass down the field. Green Bay up 7-0. Detroit scores, but something's a little off. They missed the extra point, 7-6. Fumble, return for a touchdown. Admittedly live, I didn't think it was a fumble, but it was. Return for a touchdown by Mr. Simone Biles, as they made sure to mention on the broadcast. I know there's a whole weird thing about that. Uh, Anyway, um, and then they miss the PAT, and then Goff fumbles again. Okay. Um, And we're looking at 20-6 after a quarter, 23-6 at halftime. Okay. Like, how does this happen? How does this happen? At one point, Detroit gets it to 23-14. 
Detroit winds up going for a fourth down on a fake punt inside their own 30, and then it's pretty much, you know, it's all over but the score. They wind up scoring, but 29-22, but it's not enough. They couldn't recover the onside. Jared Goff followed up a three-interception game with a two-fumble game. And, look, he threw for 332, two touchdowns. I know Detroit Lion fans, they're fans of Jared Goff. They liked that they were able to pick him up in the Stafford thing. It was almost a win-win, right? It accelerated their process because they got a guy, they got a QB, and, oh, by the way, a guy they like in Stafford got to go out and win a Super Bowl. Tremendous. And they're not wrong to think that. However, I'm getting a little nervous about the Detroit Lions. Now, are the Lions going to get caught by Minnesota? After Minnesota lost to Denver... I tend to think it might not happen, but you never know, right? Right now, Minnesota is two games back. We take a look at the remaining games for the Minnesota Vikings. They've got Chicago, very winnable. Vegas, very winnable. Backup quarterback Bengals, arguably winnable. Then their final three are all divisional. They've got Detroit in Minnesota. They've got Green Bay in Minnesota, and they end at Ford Field. Kind of rough, but you know what? It's going to be in their hands. Who does Detroit have left? Well, they've got New Orleans next week. Then they've got the Chicago Bears, the Broncos. And sandwiching those two games against the Vikings, they've got the Dallas Cowboys. Now, it's a weird situation. It's a franchise in Detroit that, you know, another one that really can't get over the hump, can't get out of their own way. And a team in Minnesota that's being led by a backup QB. Granted, one of, if not the best backup QBs in the league because he looked starter caliber in Arizona and he's looked starter caliber in Minnesota. Interesting. Um, you know what? We'll get there when we get there. The reason I wanted to talk about this game is because I'm of the opinion, I think I might have said it before, but I'll restate it again. I think even as we sit here with six games to play, and some winnable games on that schedule. For the rest of the season, Jordan Love may be playing with house money. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, if we're being completely honest, the guy's not putting up the most tremendous statistical season. However, as a rookie QB, and for all intents and purposes, obviously, he is a rookie QB, 60.5% completion percentage, 19 touchdowns to 10 picks, you mix in a couple hundred rushing yards with two touchdowns there. I mean, this is a receiving core that people talked about last year as being not good enough. Rodgers needs help, blah, blah, blah. And we've heard it for years. Oh, by the way, Alan Lazard left, who was one of, if not their best receivers. Um, Randall Cobb, the veteran who was helping out the younger guys left. And 19 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, doesn't look half bad. I'm just being honest with you. I mean... You take a look last year, Rodgers ends the year with 26-12. to 12. Would it shock you if Jordan Love ended 26-12? to 12? No. He'll probably have more than 26 touchdowns. He might have more than 12 interceptions. But he will probably have more than that 26 touchdowns. And you take a look at the interceptions, it's clusters of picks, right? He had the game against Detroit, two interceptions there, three picks against Vegas, two more picks against Pittsburgh. That's seven of the ten. So you're talking about, for the most part, 
playing turnover free, quote unquote, if you can. Uh, two fumbles in the game against the Chargers, but you know, I think, and the reason I said he's playing with house money, I think he's earned the starting job for next year. Look, if we're in a league where Daniel Jones can make forty million dollars and have gotten leash extension after leash extension. Uh, when he wasn't playing well pre-Brian Daybol, and then gets the $40 million off of a pretty good year where everything seems to bounce their way, you know what? I think Jordan Love should get his as well. I think he should get his chance to be the starting QB next year. Look, they might make the playoffs this year. If the Green Bay Plackers make the playoffs this year, it is a resounding success. You moved on from Rodgers. Didn't want to be there. It is what it is. Oh, by the way, I know some Packer fans would probably be rooting for Rodgers. I understand that. That's your guy. It's also worth noting you didn't even have to watch Rodgers go out there and ball out in the AFC. You didn't have to watch that because, unfortunately, he got hurt. So you get a draft pick. You don't have to watch the other guy do well. And, oh, by the way, the guy you replaced him with that they told you would be good was pretty good. It's all coming up aces down at Lambeau Field. Good for them. Good for Look, if they can get healthy, easier said than done. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon is still a great duo. They've still got some good linemen. The receiving core is shaky, but they can work their way through, you'd hope. They said it last year. You hope that there's more chemistry as the year goes on with Jordan Love. Um, and that they can still play some defense, man. I mean, you saw the pass rush in this game against Detroit. They look great. They can still play some defense. They can still play some ball. They can run up on people. They can sneak up on people in the postseason. That'll bring us to number four in my standout seven. Let's talk about the other primetime games while we are here. Let's touch on Sunday Night Football, the Vikings, and the Broncos. Interesting game. Very interesting game. To the point where I was never on the Bronco bandwagon, and I still might not be. But it's hard for me not to admit I am very impressed at the turnaround they've had in the span of a handful of weeks, right? This is a team that gave up 70 points in a single game, a lot of them to the starters, but a handful of touchdowns to the bench as well. They're going out there and they're competing against a Vikings team that is playoff caliber. I mean, they were a playoff team last year. They had a rough start, but they're turning around and they go blow for blow with them. Fourth quarter, they outscore them 12-3. to The defense steps up when they need them. This was a good game. This was a good game. And look, to a lesser degree, this is a similar situation to the one I talked about with Chiefs-Eagles. I don't think these teams are necessarily evenly matched. I tend to think if Minnesota had Justin Jefferson out there, they would have been able to bring this one home. However... The players that went out on the field for him, maybe they were evenly matched. I think Minnesota's a little better. But the reason I say it's similar is this. I think this is a game that both teams can walk away from not with a sour taste in their mouth. Obviously, you want to win, right? But both of these teams played pretty hard. They both look like, you know, they were ready for the fight. They both look like if you put them in a tough situation, which is going to be a playoff push when you're 6-5 and five as Minnesota and you're 5-5 five and five as Denver... You're going to need some grit. Both of these teams look like they had some of it. Denver just had more this day. Uh, Am I a little concerned that if you're a Denver fan, 
that you gave up over 150 yards on the ground to Madison and Ty Chandler. Not exactly the most dynamic running back duo to start this year. Sure, you certainly are. But in the passing game, Jordan Addison only had 40-some yards. Hawkinson only had 50-some yards. He didn't get into the end zone. It was the second tight end that got into the end zone through the air. You force a turnover on Dobbs. Pass rush did what they had to do late in this game, right? You know what? You walk away with a W and you're happy about it. And if you're the Vikings, Dobbs is still learning this system. He's new here. You were competitive. You were in it. A couple plays here and there and you can win this game. Not the worst thing. Not the worst thing at all. Back to Turkey Day. Um, do we need to talk about the Cowboys-Commanders game? Yes, we do, for one reason. I want to give the nod to Deron Bland for breaking the pick six in a single-season record, a record I, coming into the year, could not tell you who it was held by, couldn't tell you how many it was, but now I can, and I, sorry, Deron, I bet you within five years I will forget that this was, in fact, the record. It's very specific, but you know what? That doesn't make it any less impressive. I mentioned Deron Bland, I believe, during my midseason special when we talked about Defensive Player of the Year. I said he should get some consideration. I think he'd get some votes. But, I mean, if you set the record for pick sixes in a season, if you set any kind of defensive record, shouldn't you arbitrarily or, like, automatically, I guess is the better way to put it. Well, kind of arbitrary, but automatically be in the top five? I mean, you set a record. Do you know how many people do that? Not many on a yearly basis. Um, kudos to him. The commanders got stomped. You know, and we'll talk about the Jack Del Rio thing in a little bit. I want to go coaching carousel on you. But, man, stomped out. Not exactly the most exhilarating start to Turkey Day, though the food was good. Um, we talked a little bit about Seattle and San Francisco. We don't need to dive too much into that. Let's talk Jets, Dolphins. Do we need to talk about that either? A combined four interceptions. Um, Raheem Mostert had two touchdowns. Tyreek Hill had a bunch of yards. Jalen Waddell had a bunch of yards. Um, Tim Boyle, 27-38. Hey, that's not that bad for a guy that probably no one had starting a game this year. Throws two picks. Throws for a buck 79. Jets offense did not look good. Um, they score 13. They got a pick six before halftime, so really the offense scored six. Um, yeah. Actually, no, I think technically the offense did score seven because they didn't get the extra point. On that first one. The pick six. And then they throw the 99 yard pick six. On the Hail Mary. And it's it's one of those things that like. Maybe if you're watching football with a an older family member. And you're like why aren't they throwing the Hail Mary here? They go well, what if they picked it off? And you always go yeah but like they're not going to run it back. You know why, why don't they try the field goal here from 65? Yeah well what if they run it back? Um. Every so often, and it's not often, maybe, I want to say every half decade or so, you'll see the play that reinforces that in people's brains. And unfortunately for Jets fans, that was the Javon Holland forever yard pick six before halftime. Taking all momentum, Tua intercepted, ran back, Tua intercepted a second time at midfield in just a two-minute span, just a one-minute span even, uh, no, it might have been about two. It's 10-6. You're like, all right, cool. You know, maybe, who knows? Maybe they tip it around. We get it. Maybe you could do something here. Either way, we go into halftime, 10-6. Boom, it's 17-6. All right, that escalated quickly. 
Now our offense is exactly where they were before the defense made the play. Um, Al Lazard, a healthy scratch for the Jets in this game, by the way. Admittedly, I have not been keeping perfect tabs on the Jets' offensive stats. Alan Lazard in 10 games has 20 catches on 40 targets. I mean, when he was in Green Bay with Rodgers, he was arguably, and I I think, I guess you could say definitively last year, their best receiver. However, the important thing to note is people constantly said their receiving core was not good, right? So it's not like a situation where, let's go in the Wayback Machine, let's say you're the Houston Texans, right? And you have Andre Johnson and everyone else. You see what I mean? It's not one of those situations. You have Alan Lazard, who's okay, and everyone else. That's why people complained, and that's why Aaron Rodgers ultimately was like, you know, I'm tired of this. You draft in QBs, and I need help. I need help, yada, yada, yada. And he comes with them to the Jets to run a system that they'd already kind of ran. I hack it worked in Green Bay. So a facsimile of the same system... Now with some more help, where he could be number two to Garrett Wilson, right? But did you think he was going to be like a superstar? I mean, coming into the year, I imagine... And look, I I have mentioned ad nauseum how much I loathe the random projections and the machines and yada 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 that don't get explained to us, and we just kind of take it and move on. But realistically, I think even those machines would have said coming into this year, yeah, maybe you'll catch somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, what? I don't know. 40-something balls? 50-something balls? Because you also got to remember, it's not like Rodgers was going to be slinging the ball crazy. They brought in Dalvin Cook. They have Brees Hall. It was going to be a balanced attack like they've had in Green Bay. I mean, Rodgers was 26-12 to last year in touchdowns to picks. What was he going to be this year? Was he going to pop off to be that guy and prove everyone wrong? 34 touchdowns. I mean, maybe he would have went for 40 some. Who knows? We'll never know. It didn't happen. But to be mad at Alan Lazard for having 20 catches, I mean, realistically, if they had relatively competent quarterback play, he'd probably be in the neighborhood of what you'd expect, which based on his career averages, I mean, five years in Green Bay, Take out the first year where he had one catch. Four years in Green Bay, we're talking 188 catches, right? Like, do the math, guys. It's 47 catches a year. There are, not counting the game that just passed, what are we talking? Five, six games left? Would it shock you if he grabbed three balls a game and ended up just shy of 40? Like, there's no competent QB play coming out of the Jets. So it's just weird to me that they would take exception, I guess, with the way Lazard's been playing. Maybe it's a work ethic thing. Maybe it was something off the field and they didn't mention it. But they mentioned he was a healthy scratch on the broadcast. And for that reason, I had to bring it to you. We'll talk about quarterback play in just a sec. But first, I want to go coaching carousel. Now, we saw this week, much anticipated in Pittsburgh, and I'm sure there were many parades outside of not Heinz Stadium, Heinz Field, excuse me. Um, Matt Canada, the Steelers' offensive coordinator, was released. Relieved of his duties, I should say. This comes after, I believe, Pittsburgh is like the first team 
through, what are we, how many games have they played? First team through 10 games to be outgained every game in terms of yardage and still be winning games. Um, I forget the exact stat, but it's something like that. It's bizarre, but here we are. And also, the Washington Commanders relieved their defensive coordinator of his duties right after Thanksgiving when they gave up 45. Now, I find this interesting. We'll start with Washington, because they're the ones I really want to talk about, and then I guess we'll go elsewhere as stream of consciousness takes me there. But I find it interesting that the Washington Commanders can trade Chase Young in a walk year, one of their better pass rushers, and they can also trade Montez Sweat to a non-contender who then re-signs him, and they can say, yeah, Jack Del Rio, go stop the Cowboys in a short week. Now, mind you, maybe some of you didn't watch Giants Commanders, and you shouldn't have. The Commander's defense racked up nine sacks in that game against the New York Giants. You know why they lost? Because Sam Howell threw three picks, one of which was a game-sealing interception returned for a touchdown. They gave up 245 yards through there. Could they have forced turnovers? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't get any interceptions, that's true. Saquon Barkley gashed them 18 touches for a buck 40 and two receiving touchdowns. You can't lose to the Giants. You want to say, okay, they lost to the Giants. Okay, they lost to the Cowboys. Why are you not firing Ron Rivera? Am I, is it me, guys? Let me know. You know the rules. Comment section, social media, whatever you want to talk about. Why does Ron Rivera evade anything in his time in Washington they have gone 7 and 9 7 and 10 8 8 and 1 and 4 4 and 8 to start this year the first year they were there he was there excuse me they made the playoffs they lost a weirdly competitive game to the buccaneers who went on to win the super bowl the next year They had a worse win percentage. They did not take this as momentum. The story about Taylor Heineke telling the coaching staff, why don't you play Sam Howell instead of me? That alone should put you in the owner's office the next day. What are we doing, guys? Commanders fans... If you, even if you've been around since they were the name redacted or if you jumped on board when they were the football team. What is going on over there? And then to have to have the, the lack of guts to just scapegoat Jack Del Rio. I mean, Mike Ditka could have walked with this commander's team into Dallas. You traded your best pass rushers. You're facing, if it wasn't for Philly, the best team in your division. Arguably a well, I would say actually definitively, a top five team in the NFC. You are a fringe playoff contender that just traded your two best pass rushers. And Jack somehow got you nine sacks with scheme and shenanigans against Tommy DeVito, and the offense wasn't good enough. Okay. 
How about riddle me this one? I know it's been a while. Maybe you guys are a little bit younger. You know what Ron Rivera was before he was a head coach? He was a hot, hotly wanted and desired defensive coordinator for the Bears and then the San Diego Chargers. He was that guy. He was the defensive coordinator. They Everybody wants Ron, right? They talked about it for a few years, and then he got the Carolina job. Tremendous. Okay, so you have a defensive-minded head coach and a veteran defensive coordinator. What are we doing? What are we doing? Ron escapes the... Bl- Ron, you're going to get fired, dog. Like, I'm not calling for anyone to get fired. You know what? Keep your job. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not rooting for your team. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme to me in the slightest. But considering what gets you fired in the NFL, I am surprised that Ron has a job. Just putting it out there. Just putting it out there. Matt Canada. I was surprised that he kept his job as long as he did. Mike Tomlin talked after the fact, after the firing, about how he takes responsibility for certain things, and it's his fault, and I get it. I really do, Mike, but sometimes you just got to be willing to say, you know what, enough is enough. It, it's too much. We need, to, we need to make a change. It was time. I called this the coaching carousel segment because I wanted to look around the league at some coaches who may or may not be on the hot seat, and you guys let me know if you agree. Um, You take a look in the doldrums here, and we'll start in the Champions Conference, the AFC. Belichick can do whatever he wants. Uh, Mike Vrabel, I think it would be odd to fire Vrabel, but I think Tennessee is in a position where their team identity is going to be shifting relatively soon. Both because Derrick Henry is aging and because whether Levis is the guy or not, they're going to be a new team, per se. And it's weird to say new team, quote-unquote. But they're going to be different than they were under him in their little playoff window where they were contending with the best of the best in the AFC. Now, I think Vrabel pushed them enough to get a shot to stick around another couple years. If you want to say we're going to clean house and do whatever... I wouldn't have an argument for you. I think Vrabel would find another job, but I wouldn't have an argument for you. Roberto Salad, my boy, Robert Sala. I don't think Sala has done anything fireable. I think they brought in a QB for him to finally have offense, and the QB got hurt. And if you fire him now, what are we doing? Who are you going to bring in? You going to let Rodgers pick the next head coach? Are you going to keep Hackett? That the implication, I believe, is that Rodgers likes Hackett. They brought in Hackett for that reason. What are we going to do? I think he stays. Brandon Staley needs to make the postseason, and he needs to win at least one playoff game. Is that a high bar? Perhaps. I don't think Charger fans think so, and I do think Charger fans find it comical that Brandon Staley, and I'm making an assumption here, would lash out at a reporter over play-calling duties after the game when asked if he was going to give up his defensive play-calling duties, and he said, no, you can stop asking that question. The defense is doing great. That's why Jordan Love just had the best game of his career. You're facing a guy who's, for all intents and purposes, auditioning for his job. 
it's been a decent audition, but put it this way. Who's had a better year, Jordan Love or C.J. Stroud? Jordan Love's had years to sit on the bench. C.J. Stroud just got here. They threw him a helmet and a pair of shoulder pads that was too short, and he's winging it all over the field. That's not what the Packers want out of young Jordan Love. However, if it were happening, they wouldn't mind it. So, I don't get it. I don't get how he made it this far. Um, It's going to take a playoff run. It's not going to take just making it to the playoffs. They're going to have to upset whoever they play in the first round, potentially get to even a third playoff game. Raiders, Antonio Pierce, too soon to tell. Um, I think they'll open it up. I tend to think Harbaugh is going to, Jim Harbaugh, that is, from Michigan, is going to find his way into the NFL somehow. Raiders would make sense. There's a lot of teams that could be hiring. Um, Yeah, so I like Antonio Pierce. We'll see what they do the rest of the year. Look, I didn't hate the Jeff Saturday coaching decision last year either. I thought it was different, and why not change it up? Well, didn't last. All right, fair enough. Um, The Bengals, no, there's no coaching change there. Denver, they just got Sean Payton. The Colts, too soon. The Bills, too soon. And then you have all the playoff teams in the National Football Conference. Would Carolina consider a coaching change? I think it's too soon. Um, unless unless they're smitten with Bryce Young, which I tend to hope they are because they took him so high, and he straight up says, I can't work with Frank Reich. Okay, then they'd get rid of him, but even then, I'm not sure we see that. I don't think that's very likely. On to the Arizona Cardinals. Another new head coach. I think it'd be really soon. I don't know. It could be a situation like when they brought in Kingsbury where they just straight up, you know, said, Goodbye to their old head coach, I believe it was... Was it Vance Joseph? Just said goodbye to him. Get out of here. I mean, no, I think it was Steve Wilkes, actually. I have to double-check that real quick. Yeah, it was Steve Wilkes. I thought of Vance Joseph, because I remember I wasn't exactly on board with him getting laid off either, but they did lay him off. And then he landed on his feet right away in Arizona, which is where Steve Wilkes was uh, no longer employed. Either way. I wouldn't be uh, super high on that. The Bears, I could see the Bears making a change. I mean, I don't think they've seen super progression. We'd really, we'd have to see Justin Fields take it to the next level in these last handful of games. I don't know if the Bears are even 100,000% sold on Fields. He might be available in the offseason, I would say. So, considering where they're going to be picking, I tend to think it might be a clean house sort of situation. Next, we have the New York Giants. All the reports so far say that Dayball and Joe Shane are safe. I'll go by that, I guess. Um, I mean, they did it with McAdoo, but McAdoo also angered the fans. Dayball hasn't angered the fans yet. Ron Rivera at 12, 12th in the NFC. I think Ron Rivera's gone. Uh, number 11, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I think Todd Balls has been okay. I think he'd get a third year. It depends how they end this season. If they wind up somehow s- slipping like they are right now, and they wind up, let's see, right now they're four and six. Let's say they end like six and eleven. Like realistically, it probably shouldn't be six and eleven in that week of a division with this talent. But we'll see how that goes. Uh, Atlanta Falcons, new head coach. I don't see anything happening there. Uh, well, not that new. And Arthur Smith been there longer than I realized. Maybe. Depends on how that NFC South goes. Could shake up some coaching 
positions. And you have Sean McVay, he's good. And Coach LaFleur in Green Bay, he's good as well. Number six in the standout seven. We're ro- rolling around the league like it's almost an off-season preview episode today. Uh, just a little bit of QB shenanigans to mention. The Atlanta Falcons going back to Desmond Ritter this week. And that's partially because of a Taylor Heineke injury. Partially because, well, somebody's got to play QB and it's not going great. Um, the Jets went to Tim Boyle, jotted that one down. We already discussed Boyle. Interesting that they didn't go with Trevor Simeon. They made a deal about how they were bringing him in earlier in the year. Practice squad, the implication being that he would be the guy that they bench Zach Wilson for because he's, I mean, not a, he's not Drew Brees, but he's a veteran. He's played. He's won some games. Boyle hasn't done any of that. And they went with Boyle. All right, fair enough. Um, Another one to mention here. Rumor has it, Ryan Tannehill has asked the Titans for his release. I am of the opinion they should cut him. Because, realistically, they're not going to make the postseason this year. Additionally, I don't believe Ryan Tannehill... Look, I didn't think he was going to be their QB this year. So no way do I think he's going to be their QB next year. I think, maybe it's just me, as a sign of good faith... They should cut him and let him go play the field. I mean, you're telling me he wouldn't immediately improve the New York Jets? Tremendously so. It's not close. You're telling me he couldn't potentially walk in and start for the Raiders? Now, they wouldn't do it because it's a rookie there, but he could. You're telling me he couldn't walk in and immediately re-legitimize, so to speak, the Bengals a little bit? Now, look, last year, 12 games, he went 13 touchdowns to 6 picks. The year before, 21 touchdowns to 14 picks. He's never been an elite QB, per se, but his best year was 33-7. to That's really good. He's a pretty good QB. He's injured, right? Injury-prone, I would say. Usually winds up nicked up at least once in a year. But, I mean, we just talked about Atlanta going back to Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter has started 12 NFL games, right? And he's played in 13. He has eight touchdowns and six interceptions. Like, Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill played six games this year. He had two touchdowns, six picks. Last year, he was 13-6. to six. I mean, this Titans team is, is really not that good, guys. I tend to think they were really... They may have realized they were a little over the hill. All right, let's take a little year to regroup here. Play Will Levis. We played Malik Willis a little bit. Let's see what we got. I think Tannehill should get his shot to go elsewhere and see what happens. I think that'd be fun, both for him as a chance to rejuvenate the career late in the career, and also, why not? Number seven in the standout seven. We'll talk about this Drew Brees quote I teased earlier. Uh, Additionally, we're going to get into some news and notes, obviously. Drew Brees, per Adam Schefter. Retired quarterback Drew Brees says that he'd still be playing if he could throw a football with his right arm, but he's no longer possible because of the major shoulder shoulder injury, excuse me, he suffered back in 2005. Breeze, who made a revel- who revealed that revelation, excuse me, uh, this week when on ESPN Radio's Greeny, was asked if he had gotten any calls from teams trying to lure him out of retirement. He said there might have been a feeler or two. However, I'll let you in on a little fact. I don't throw with my right arm anymore. My right arm does not work. So when I throw in the backyard, I am left-handed. He's promoting a pickleball event he played in with John McEnroe. He said he could play pickleball because it's below the waist. Anything above his shoulder, he has a hard time with. That's kind of sad. I mean, 
if you read through some of the things they talked about at the time in terms of Drew Brees' injury and some of the things we've heard since about how significant it was, realistically in the back of your mind, the assumption is, all right, well, I guess they had a tremendous surgery. Well, no, he just played through it and kind of gritted it out, and that's why by the end he was kind of just willing it out there, right? And we've seen a lot of QBs, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, obviously, by the end there, they're trying to grit it out. They just can't really get it there. Um, best wishes to Drew Brees. I mean, obviously, it's not necessarily a life-threatening thing or something. It sounds almost like arthritic or something like that. I'm not a doctor. Um, but it's a shame. I mean, he left it all out there on the field, and that's a true competitor. And uh, realistically, that's what I think of when I think of Drew Brees. One of the best of all time. News and notes here. Uh, tremendous safety Hufunga on the 49ers, and I don't have his first name jotted down because I will probably butcher it. Um, Palomalu-ish, both because of the name reminder and because of the hair and the way that he just flies around like his hair is on fire. Uh, Torn ACL, he's done for the year. Should be a big one. Big injury for them, but San Francisco's been able to navigate some injuries before. Let's see what they can do. Um, Baltimore noting that supposedly, if they're able to make a deep playoff run, Mark Andrews may be able to return from his significant leg injuries. Joey Bosa, two injured reserve with a foot sprain for the Chargers. Kenneth Walker III's injury that he sustained last week, not on Turkey Day, is considered relatively serious. Uh, Shaq Leonard, former Pro Bowler of the Indianapolis Colts, was released this week while giving out Thanksgiving turkeys in the city of Indianapolis, and that is just all-time sad. Um, Great player. He's been dealing with injuries. We know that. Trying to make it back to the player he once was. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. The thing is, I mean, while he's at a charity thing, though, like you couldn't cut him one more game check. All right. Sure, need the roster spot. Need it immediately. Michael Thomas of the New Orleans Saints, 2IR. Another injury for the oft-injured in the last few years wide receiver. Uh, Tight end for the Green Bay Packers, Luke Musgrave, 2IR as well. And Derek Carr, cleared concussion protocol for the Saints. He is likely to go this week. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven and take us into my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion of episode number 179 of the Necessary Roughness podcast. Now, mind you, we've already been through four games this week, but we've still got a full slate, and that slate gets started when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to Indy to take on the Colts. The visiting Buccaneers going to be without linebacker Levante David with a groin injury and corner Jamel Dean with an ankle slash foot. Questionable in this one, more on the defensive side. Two D linemen in Mike Green with a calf and Logan Hall with an illness as well as linebacker Devin White with a foot injury and corner Carlton Davis with a hip. Colts going to be without their center, Ryan Kelly, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as tight end Andrew Ogletree with a foot injury and corner Julius Brents with a quad. Questionable, linebacker Grant Stewart with an illness. Bucks coming in at 4-6, and six, Colts coming in at 5-5. Five and five. Colts are the home team in this one, and that just might push them over the edge for me. I, I can't make heads or tails of the Buccaneers. If Anthony Richardson were still around, this would be a Colts winner stamp it. I'm sure of it. However, with Minshew, it's going to take a little bit more hopium on my side. No matter what, I'm going with the Colts to win this one at home. Next, we got a Super Bowl rematch and certainly not a Super Bowl preview anytime soon as the New England Patriots 
head to New Jersey to take on the Giants. Patriots listing a handful of players as questionable for this one. Wide receivers Devontae Parker with a concussion and Matthew Slater, who's more of a special teamer, with an ankle injury. Offensive lineman Trent Brown with an ankle. Riley Reef with a knee. On the defensive side, D-lineman Dietrich Wise with a shoulder. Linebacker Jawan Bentley with a hammy. And corner Jonathan Jones with a knee injury. Giants are going to be without their infamous right tackle Evan Neal with an ankle. Doubtful their big run stuffer Dexter Lawrence with a hammy and deep threat wide receiver Darius Slayton with a neck. Questionable backup running back Eric Gray. This is a weird game. Both because I don't know if either QB is going to finish this game. (laughs) And I don't really know if it benefits either team if they do. Um, We're not far removed from me looking at Mac Jones and saying like, oh, you know, well, he could be one of those game manager, decent QBs, right? I mean, it's it's important to remember when you look back at Mac Jones, granted, he wound up, I believe, in the Pro Bowl because of so many people pulling out. I mean, as a rookie, he was 10 and 7, second in the offensive rookie of the year, 22 touchdowns, 13 picks, 3,800 yards. I mean, last year, he was just a hair under 3,000 yards, 14 touchdowns. This year, he's 10 touchdowns, 10 picks. I mean, kind of speed running a downfall. You have to peak first, don't you? Um, I'm going to take the Giants, due in large part because I think it's funny that the Giants always find ways to win games that directly hurt their future, right? So, like, New York teams like to win meaningless games to directly tank their own draft stock. But not in the normal conventional tanking way where they're like, oh no, we missed the field goal, we lost the game. No, 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 like they go out there, block a field goal, run it back for a touchdown, win, and then the next greatest QB is going to get taken one pick before them, probably by like the Bears. Um, that being said, give me Tuomi DeVito to take down the Patriots at home. Next, we have an AFC North showdown between two offenses that are, well, it'll be interesting. The Pittsburgh Steelers head to Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati to take on the Burrowless Bengals. Steelers going to be without D-tackle Montrevious Adams with an ankle and safety Minka Fitzpatrick with a hammy. Questionable, corner James Pierre with a shoulder, or as NFL.com this week has it, a shoulder. Bengals obviously without Joe Burrow, also going to be without wide receiver T. Higgins with a hamstring injury and corner Cam Taylor-Britt with a quad. Doubtful, offensive lineman Deontay Smith with a knee. Questionable. Backup running back Chase Brown with a hammy and linebacker Jermaine Pratt with an illness. This is a weird one for me to pick because usually when an assistant coach or coach that the fans have turned on gets fired or relieved of their duties or moves on either way, there's a little bit of a momentum boost, at least if not inside that locker room, externally. However, this game is on the road and the Bengals, granted, they're sitting at 5-5. Five and five. Even without Joe Burrow, have the bones of a really good team. Um, can Jake Browning make anything of it? I'm not sure. I'm going to take the Bengals in this one because I'm not certain Pittsburgh's offense is going to take a leap. Um, I was a Pickett fan in college. I think he's had some flashes last year, not so much this year. Um, They've still got Najee Harris. They've got Jalen Warren, who's bursting on the scene. George Pickens can snag him. Pat Fryermuth's a decent tight end. I mean, but they are facing a team that is, in my opinion, if they were healthy, a title contender. 
Give me the Bengals to keep their head in the game here. See if Zach Taylor can keep them on the ball, try and make a wild card run. Granted, even with a backup QB, I mean, the Eagles won it all with Nick Foles. Giants won it all with Jeff Hostetler. Why not try and get Jake Browning on that list? And let's get that started this week with the Bengals winning at home. Next, we got a battle between two teams that realistically means more to the draft than it does to the playoff picture. The Tennessee Titans play host to the Carolina Panthers. Panthers going to be without tight end Hayden Hurst, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as linebacker Yutur Gross Matos with a hammy, and safety Jeremy Chin with a quad injury. Doubtful, two corners in J.C. Horn and C.J. Henderson with a hammy and concussion, respectively. Questionable, two linebackers in Marquise Haynes with a back and Frankie Luke with a shoulder, and safety Sam Franklin with a quad. Titans going to be without offensive lineman Chris Hubbard with a bicep injury and wide receiver Traylon Burks, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable, linebacker Luke Gifford with a shin and safety Terrell Edmonds with a shoulder. I have not been impressed with much of anything I've seen from the Carolina Panthers, and for that reason, I'm going to take the Titans to win this one at home. We had our AFC North matchup earlier. Now let's take it to the AFC South. The Jaguars head to Texas to take on the Houston Texans. Battle of 7-3 and three versus 6-4. and four. The Jaguars can move out cornerback Tyson Campbell with a hamstring injury. Questionable, D-lineman Roy Robertson-Harris with an ankle and wide receiver Zay Jones with a knee. Texans, on the other hand, going to be without wide receiver Noah Brown with a knee. Linebacker Jake Hansen battling a hammy and a hand injury, and Jimmy Ward with a hammy as well. Questionable, backup QB Case Keenum with a calf, running back Damian Pierce with an ankle, and offensive lineman Juice Scruggs, all-time name, with a hamstring injury. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this matchup, because I think the Texans' defense has been overachieving, due in part to coaching and scheme brought in by D'Amico Ryans. I think the Jaguars have the better defense on paper. I think offensively, I'm not sure how this one plays out. I'm not sure if this boils down to 20-17 to 17 with some turnovers, or we might wind up with a little bit of an old-school shootout like when Trevor Lawrence and C.J. Stroud were in college. Either way, I'm going to default to who I had coming in. I had the Jaguars winning this division. It's going to be hard for them to do it if they lose to the Texans here. Give me the Jags to win this one on the road. Next, our final 1 o'clock kick. Let's keep it in the South, but flip conferences. The New Orleans Saints head to Mercedes-Benz Stadium to take on the Atlanta Falcons. Saints can be without running back Kendra Miller with an ankle and corner Marshawn Lattimore with an ankle. Questionable, Isaiah Foskey on the D-line with a quad. Falcons can be without wide receiver Mac Hollins with an ankle and questionable, now backup QB, Taylor Heineke with a hamstring injury. Flip a coin, folks. I mean, we used to do 60-second picks, and sometimes we pop it back in now and again, but that had to do more with blowout, bad matchups. This is a matchup between two teams that I don't know if anyone can pin down where they're going. Would it shock you if Atlanta was decent and found a way to end this year somewhere in the neighborhood of 9-8? and eight? I mean, it would take 5-2 and two from here out, but you never know. Would it shock you if the Saints skidded their way to 7-10, and it take 2-5, and five. nothing's impossible. I mean, Atlanta's at home, I like Atlanta's skill position talent, New Orleans doesn't have Mike Thomas, but with all due respect to Mike Thomas, they're kind of used to that, the last bit here in New Orleans. 
Give me New Orleans. Give me Chris Olave to make a big play. Who knows? Give me Rashid Shahid, my favorite name in the league. Saints to take this one on the road. Next, we have another divisional matchup, NFC West, as we move into the 405 slate. The Rams head to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. The Rams without safety, Quinton Lake with a hamstring injury. Questionable for this one. Wide receiver Ben Skoranek with a hip. And I believe I saw that Cooper Cup should be good to go in this one, so I'll operate under the assumption that he will be good to go. Cardinals going to be without D lineman Kevin Strong with a knee. Strong name. Corner Antonio Hamilton with a groin injury and wide receiver Michael Wilson with a shoulder. Questionable. Two more wide receivers and Marquise Brown with a heel and Zach Pascal with a hammy. Running back Imari DiMarcado with a toe. D lineman Jonathan Ledbetter with a shoulder. Linebacker Jesse Lucchetta with an ankle and safety Joey Blunt with a knee. Don't look now, but somehow the LA Rams, buoyed by their win last week over the Seahawks in kind of odd fashion that we glazed over, to be completely honest, are in the playoff hunt in the NFC. And I think they'll continue to be in the playoff hunt because this is a team that beat Arizona at their peak when they were at their peak. The Rams have fallen, but I think Arizona's fallen a bit more, especially with the players they have on the injury report. Give me the Rams to win this one on the road. Next, we got a battle of the Bs in the AFC in our only other 405 kick. The Cleveland Browns take on the Denver Broncos. The Browns going to be without Marquise Goodwin on the offensive side, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as corner Denzel Ward with a shoulder. Questionable. Linebacker Jordan Kunazic with a knee, as well as linebacker Anthony Walker with a hammy, and safety Juan Thornhill with a calf. Questionable for the Broncos, running back Dwayne Washington with an illness, and safety P.J. Locke with an ankle. This is an odd game, and we didn't really talk about the Browns' performance last week either. Skirted over a few teams here. You know, the trip to fans taking some time to wear off. Can't talk about all of them. But, I mean, they ran out Dorian Thomas excuse me, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR. I, I thought it would be P.J. Walker, but I guess it wasn't. Um, they like they like the kid more. Okay, fair enough. I mean, Kenny Pickett only threw for 100 yards in that game. Jalen Brown was their whole offense. 129 yards on the ground and their only touchdown. But uh, continuation of the Browns' defense just being really good. How will that defense do this week against Denver? Denver's defense seems to also be moderately stout. As weird as it sounds, I have a little bit more belief in Denver's offense, right? Um, Cortland Sutton's kind of balling out. Is that enough? I mean, Javante Williams is still there. I know Cleveland's defense is elite. I should probably pick Cleveland. But part of me likes the comedy of the idea that the Cleveland Browns, you know, are facing a Denver team that gave up 70 points a handful of weeks ago, and somehow, if Denver wins this one, they're within spitting distance of that bizarre playoff Cleveland Brown team. And you know what? I'm going to take Denver to pull this one off at home. That'll bring us to the 425 kickoff window, where we've got a really good one, folks. The Buffalo Bills head to Lincoln Financial to take on the 9-1 Eagles. How do you draw the Chiefs and the Bills back-to-back? Lord only knows. The Bills going to be without corner Dane Jackson, who's in the concussion protocol, and safety Taylor Rapp with a neck injury. Eagles going to be without tight end Grant Calcaterra with an ankle. Tight end Dallas Goddard with a forearm. D-lineman Milton Williams within the concussion protocol, and safety Justin Evans with a knee. Questionable, wide receiver Quez Watkins with a hammy. 
This is a game, look, I said that the Eagles were better than Kansas City. They should win that game. Get some revenge. Get going. I'm going to flip it on them. I think they're riding high. Is this because of the Sirianni thing before? It just might be. Um, No, but I think they're riding high. But I don't know if something crazy like a 16-1 is within reach. I think this Buffalo team is kind of a cornered animal. They fired their OC. The, The walls are falling down on them, right? They need to somehow get to the postseason. If they can get in in the year where things are collapsing, it wouldn't shock me if this is the year they find a way to get over the hill. That being said, it's going to be easier said than done. I'm going to take Buffalo to pull off a little bit of a shocker on the road. Next, we go back to the divisional opponent theme. The Kansas City Chiefs head to Vegas to take on the Antonio Pierce-led Raiders. Chiefs going to be without running back Jarek McKinnon with a groin injury and wide receiver Mecole Hardman with a thumb. Raiders, huge one. Doubtful DN Max Crosby with a knee injury. Questionable offensive lineman Colton Miller with a shoulder. Linebacker Robert Spillane with an ankle and two safeties in Marcus Epps with a neck and Roderick Teamer with a hamstring injury. I'm taking the Chiefs. Um, You don't see the Chiefs lose back-to-back games very often. I think the Chiefs are going to come out kind of frustrated that they lost that game at home, frustrated that people are kind of razzing on them a little bit across the league. Um, Give me the Chiefs to win this one in fairly convincing fashion. Next, we move to the Sunday night game of the week. The Baltimore Ravens head to the West Coast to take on the L.A. Superchargers. They're going to be without the aforementioned tight end Mark Andrews with an ankle injury, as well as linebacker Trenton Simpson with a concussion. Doubtful fellow linebacker Malik Harrison, who's battling a groin injury. Questionable couple of wide receivers in OBJ with a shoulder and Zay Flowers with a hip. Tight end Charlie Kolar with an illness. Offensive lineman Ronnie Stanley with a knee. And two corners in Marlon Humphrey with a calf. And Demarion Williams with an ankle. Chargers going to be without safety JT Woods, who's battling an illness. And tight end Nick Vinette, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable for this one is wide receiver Jalen Guyton with a groin injury and tight end Gerald Everett with a chest injury. Now, I'll admit to you, I do think it would be kind of funny if the Chargers somehow go from the team losing to Green Bay to straight up getting into a shootout game with arguably the best team in the AFC, if not one of the best teams in the NFL. Well, not if not, definitively one of the best teams in the NFL. However... I'm not picking the Chargers. I'm not doing it. Maybe they'll respond kindly. Maybe they like the fire that Coach Brandon Staley showed at the press conference. I thought it was weird. Um, and you know what? I, I think they have every every reason to question his play-calling abilities, and I think they'll have even more reason to question him after they lose this one at home. Next, we head to Monday night football games that probably sounded better in a boardroom. The Chicago Bears head to Minnesota to take on the Pastronaut and the Vikings. No injury report because we are too far away. All other injury reports, as per usual, brought to you by NFL.com. We're taking the Pastronaut, yeah. Justin Fields on the turf could make it a little bit of a show, but uh, let's take the Pastronaut. I mean, they almost pulled it off against Denver. They did pull it off against Atlanta. They've got a little bit of a soft spot here in the schedule where the Pastronaut can kind of build up to his normal power level, so to speak. Atlanta's middle of the pack, Denver's middle of the pack, Chicago below average, 
Minnesota should win this one at home. Next, we have Thursday Night Football, Week 13, November the 30th. The Seattle Seahawks head to Jerry World to take on the Cowboys. Geno Smith didn't play tremendous against San Francisco, but then again, who does? Oh, by the way, didn't play tremendous against the Rams either. 233 and a touchdown. The injury to Kenneth Walker. I think it's too much to overcome. I've got the Dallas Cowboys winning this one in primetime. All right, folks, that'll bring us to the end of the pick'em portion of this week's episode and the end of episode number 179 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Tune in next Friday. Um, We'll break down week 13. We'll break down all the things we've seen this weekend. And if any other week of this season has shown us anything, I have no idea what's going to happen, and I'm sure you may not either. Good luck if you're gambling this weekend. Good luck if you got some parlays. If you got some Black Friday shopping to do, try to keep it online. Those stores get crazy. Either way, if it's your first episode or your 179th, thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.